Welcome to the Consciousness Corner. Consciousness to me has been everything. I've been obsessed. Obsession is the right word. There's something inside me that drives me towards figuring out consciousness. I guess really I'm trying to figure out who I am and that's been a crisis, I get identity crisis you could call it or just a crisis of me for all my life. And are the two interrelated? Yes and no. One of it is I want to figure out my consciousness. Consciousness, we don't have a good definition. Nobody can tell you how it works. But without it, nothing happens in life, especially for me or anybody who is conscious. And I would assume humans, at least everybody has consciousness. We can't be guaranteed that because of the richness internally. And it's well beyond just living life. It's an experience everybody has. And science hasn't figured it out. Neuroscience hasn't figured it out. Philosophy thinks a lot about it. And it's a big mystery. It's been driving a lot of things I do subconsciously, if that's the right term, or unconsciously. And it's led me to where I am. And whatever it is, it is. And that's part of life. Your past defines you. And without the things that have happened, I would not be here today. And like I said, that's life. Today, I want to talk about something uh, is a fun episode. (laughs) I try and predict how the episodes go, but there's so many rabbit holes I end up down that I just don't know. It's the collective consciousness. This has been something a lot of people have talked about over the years. It's interesting and fun to think about that we are connected in some ways beyond our physical bounds consciously. Now, we don't know what consciousness is, so it's very hard to say if we have collective consciousness. This is why it's a mystery. But there's multiple ways you could think about it. From the physical level, uh, there's quantum field theory. Now, quantum field theory is the most successful theory that we, and by we, I mean humans, have come up with in terms of an explanation for how our universe works. It's tied together with particle physics. So the standard model of particle physics defines a bunch of model, a bunch of particles. Sorry, I mean there's the, obviously the standard ones. <laughs> the fundamental ones are the two quarks, up and down quark, the electron and the neutrino. Now the quarks make up the atoms, the protons, the neutrons, and that becomes the nucleus. You have the electron. Classical theory, a classical model is that it rolls around like a, it spins around, and that's not quite right because we're talking in the quantum mechanical world. It's more spread out, but That's not the rabbit hole I wanted to go down. Uh, Quantum electrodynamics and quantum chromodynamics describe fields. In general, everything is a field. Now, what's a field? Basically, it just has a measure at a particular point, but is everywhere. So temperature is a great example. Temperature is the average kinetic energy of the molecules in a space. And each point in that space, though, has its own kinetic energy. And that's called a field because every single point has some sort of measurable value uh, and a potential direction, which will make it a a vector. So quantum field theory is everything to us, our fields. And what what happens is the vibration in those fields is how particles come about. And the interaction between fields describes a lot of what we experience in the physical universe. And a lot of smart people have worked many, many years to come up with this theory. I believe it started with Paul Dirac in 1927, I want to say. He was a genius. Everybody described him as a genius. You know when you've come across a genius, when everybody you talk to says that person is... It's very interesting to go and get into his mind. If I could go back and sort of like... This is what I want to do. If we invent even teleportation, I want to combine teleportation with Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. So I become infinitely small, teleport myself 
uh, oh, we need time travel back in the past and sort of like getting people's brains and consciousness. <laughs> That's what I want to do. And I want to like look around at the electrochemical signals and have some way of figuring out what they're experiencing or how they're thinking, let alone how, what they're experiencing. Well, Paul Dirac was a genius, 19, I believe 27, was it 27? Anyway, at that point, general relativity came into the fold. Special relativity came into the fold. Quantum, quantum mechanics was at its infancy uh, and a lot of people around like Niels Bohr, Albert Einstein, all of those people developed quantum mechanics, Eric Schrodinger. And he combined special relativity with, oh, what did he combine? with quantum mechanics. Yeah. Uh, he explained the relativistic nature of the quantum mechanical world, which basically opened the door towards quantum field theory. Um, but backtracking, backtracking, that would say that we have fields all around us, including the Higgs field, by the way. The Higgs is an interesting story as well. Peter Higgs, 1964, postulated that there is a fundamental field that gives rise to the mass of everything else we see and all of the particles, including the Higgs boson, which is a particle itself. And it was discovered only recently, by recently, I mean, in the last 10 years, in the Large Hadron Collider. Story for another day. Um, but everything is a field. Now, a lot of Eastern philosophy has always postulated that we are connected. Eastern philosophy looks at internal and focus on yourself, focus on who you are and changing yourself and, you know, how you should live and act and feel and all of that good stuff. But it also believes that humanity is connected. <clears throat> Humans are connected in some way, especially around our consciousness. It is that one thing that if we were going to get connected, I don't really want to be connected physically. I'm, well, yes, you know. <laughs> Okay, but like is it spiritually, uh, a lot of spirituality has, I would say, diminished in terms of like how many percentage of people will, if you ask them, is there a spiritual world? A lot will still say yes. I think that's probably a bit, I'm, I'm making a leap here, but in terms of theology and things like that, it's less these days. Uh, anecdotally, it feels like less people uh, is an ideology they subscribe to. So spiritually, we could be connected, but consciously now feels like somehow we could have some connection. And they were very happy with quantum field theory because it then gives an underlying physical way for us to be connected. Now, the way that would work, though, we have to discuss panpsychism. I really like panpsychism as a theory. I don't subscribe to it, but I like it. And panpsychism essentially is that consciousness is everywhere in the universe. There is an element of consciousness basically throughout the universe. And whether it's an inanimate object or a living object, it doesn't matter. In some ways, consciousness is there. It's in space time or it's part of a rock or it's just it's part of the physical universe. I'd probably is a good way to put it. And panpsychism uh, is that theory of, a, of an ideology. And it came, I can't remember where it came about, but um, some people say that it is out there, consciousness. Now, we have it obviously at a different level than inanimate objects like a rock or a table of chairs, but it doesn't necessarily mean that I don't have an element of consciousness. It doesn't necessarily say that they are experiencing they i like how i say they and not it see they are they that's the pronouns of a my tables pronouns are they i guess 
like it doesn't necessarily say that they have an experience but they are have an element inbuilt of consciousness which would mean particle physics and i believe david chalmers is one of the people who are pushing for this uh i'm sorry if i'm misquoting you he's one of my heroes so i definitely don't want to do that but that consciousness like physics needs to be extended to understand a conscious let's say a consciousness particle which is super fascinating because like then we could start to say hang on the brain has all of the fundamental standard particles i mean we are subatomic people creatures right we built from the same stuff that we see out there in the universe but to extend that then there's a consciousness particle in our brain that gives rise to consciousness um that's interesting in that sense but going back backtrack backtrack panpsychism is that theory and there is a theory out there that's the leading theory of consciousness as far as i i don't i haven't heard of any other theory that's as well accepted these days as the leading theory now there's no single piece of evidence yet for any theory of consciousness i want to put that out there evidence is not available that's why we don't know how consciousness works but integrated information theory has been popular let's say for the last 20 years maybe 30 years i don't exactly know and what it is attempt to do is what it what it is attempting to do is figure out the intersection between our neurons and how they're connected and understand the information in those connections and quantify it through math like you can actually have a math i believe they call it the psi i mean it's just a a letter or well sorry it's just a representation of what that number would be um the integration and the quantity so integrated information if you could define that formula then that number for humans would be a lot higher than anything else that we know in probably the universe currently or at least in our world and that's why consciousness arises now it's an interesting theory for a few reasons one being we don't have in terms of the number of neurons we don't have the most we know that whales have about three times somewhere in the 240 billion mark but yet seemingly in terms of consciousness and i'm using consciousness as a blanket term here so cognition reasoning functioning thinking planning language i'm using it as a blanket term which i don't like doing but it just makes things easier we know that whales clearly don't have like they're not um doing their own math and solving the i don't know they're not solving general relativity's equations <laughs> or they're not they are talking to each other but not as as intricate with language as we are so they're reasoning they're planning you could assume their experience of time which i like doing actually i think whales have some experience of time but not as much as us so like in terms of what i call the sliding scale of consciousness you could slide it back and forth in the living things and uh you know you get to us at at one end or at the far end so integrated information theory would say that well we don't have the most number of neurons so it can't be that it's just not a pure number but there is something with the way that they bind and especially the networks they create and we know that each of us i'm curious to know how many synaptic connections each neuron of a whale i should look that up but for humans it's about 10,000 so if you do the math of 89 billion and 10,000 potential connections each that's a lot of damn connections right and so there's something with the way that the network of your brain works that gives you consciousness i'm going to keep using me as an example because there's my only data point that gives me consciousness and if we could measure those 
interaction, so the integration, but it also postulates this information thing. Now that's super fascinating for me because what does it mean information? Like it's going down to a fundamental level at the quantum level, at quantum field theory and quantum mechanics. Like there is something embedded in there, whether it's those bindings. I don't think it's neurotransmitters per se, or it might be a piece of information within the neuron itself. But either way, when you connect, there's information there. And that information plus the integration, and this is what's called integrated information theory, information yeah integrated information theory that combination we can quantify and say if we are able to apply the formula for humans let's say it would be a hundred or a hundred a thousand whatever and then for something else it might be 50 including inanimate objects this is the panpsychist part of integrated information theory even inanimate objects like a rock a table a chair whatever it doesn't matter has some information there right and that information, just if you do that measurement, you're going to get like a 10 as opposed to we are a 1,000. And so it's conscious, but it's not at the level that we are. And that's why it's a panpsychist theory, because it would say that everything in the physical universe has an element of information. It's just not integrated in the way to give rise to consciousness. It's a super great theory. I do enjoy it. Do I subscribe to it? No, I don't think so. The reason why, if I subscribe to that, I would also have to subscribe to the panpsychist theory. It's my favorite theory in some ways. I would love to say that everything in the world is conscious. I would love to say that it's out there as well. But my brain, honestly, it's just my brain. My brain finds it hard to accept that. (laughs) I don't even know if I'm consciously ruling it out. If it was true, I would be happy. Let's say tomorrow I wake up and there's a, I guess, an article. It's not really a news article these days. <laughs> like, I don't, I, who, does people still read the newspaper? Everything's digital. So let's say I open my phone and the first thing that pops up is, we've figured out consciousness, people. Everybody, I, I mean, it made me happy in some ways, um, in a lot of ways, actually. And integrated information theory was right. And panpsychism is real and rocks have a piece of information and it's conscious in some ways and beauty. Excellent. And we've just figured out how to embed consciousness throughout all of the physical universe. Great. Um, But you never know. Anyway, I want to touch on backtrack a little bit, but not too far because the concept of information really is something that we have created and it all goes back to the language and the semantics we use and and Wittgenstein. (laughs) You're going to hear his name a lot because that challenge on language is something that's important and I've been thinking about it for a while. What would it mean to have information? At the physical level, everything we give is a label, even energy, which is to me one of the fundamental, not only things that are conserved, but a part of life. Like everything in life converts energy. You need energy in any system to be converted for something to happen. And it's constantly happening. Like to think that it can't be created or destroyed, only converted, and all of life revolves around an energy conversion. The thing is, we don't know what energy is exactly. All we can do is describe how it behaves. Uh, Kinetic, potential, chemical energy, right? We've given labels to the different types that we see. We've even given labels to entropy, which isn't directly the increase of energy, but the number of configuration states or the disorder or the balancing out of any type of energy, it will always increase. Which people say, but people, I mean, the super smart people say that this is why we experience time. So backtrack, backtrack. What would it mean when we semantics of what we call information? What is it exactly? (laughs) 
when we say a rock potentially has information um and if we break that rock down to its constituent atoms and those atoms we break down to the fundamental quarks and those quarks are being held together by the strong nuclear force which itself is an encapsulation of energy of some description then what is the information being passed or what is it storing from not a like human semantic experiencing it but like what is what is what i'm asking is what does information mean to the universe again i'm using the blanket term universe in case you haven't caught any of my other episodes when i say universe i'm like the numina what's out there what is the reality you could it's a universe reality probably in this context same thing what does it mean to reality outside of us everything the, the the biggest challenge i find in any of these discussions is that we experience everything in life <laughs> if we were to step outside of our experience going back to my thought experiment i'd love to somebody to shrink me teleport me and then i go back in time and go into someone's head like that's stepping outside of my own experience or is it am i taking my well the question is do i take my consciousness with me in some ways i can only be conscious of myself and everybody will experience life through their consciousness so we are bound by some sort of realm internally and and even externally in some ways of like physical space where all of this is has to come through that experience and what it what would it mean if it didn't and what would the universe know when we say information it doesn't mean anything to the universe when we say energy it means nothing to the universe right i often like to say the universe doesn't have to play by our rules and we've created amazing rules like math and science and all of this to explain reality where reality is just like dude i don't care (laughs) go do whatever it is you want to do none of what you're saying means squat to me right and that's how i imagine it but anyway let's let's continue down the rabbit hole of information like there is something there for me though i akin it to encapsulation of energy i cannot get past the fact that something happens when you put energy into a system something happens when you encapsulate energy and i've thrown around the theory of life is about encapsulation of energy differently to inanimate objects a rock yes it encapsulates energy but there's something that we do as living organisms that just is different it's self-sustaining so my definition of life i don't know if there's a consensus of what life is in terms of a definition it probably probably is by now at least or many my definition of life is the encapsulation of energy that has the ability to convert energy to self-sustain it's a bit of a long-winded definition but life is not simple i often bump up into a wall where people assume i don't want to speak for people but uh, i hear a lot of things around oh it's just life no yes we've developing computers that are seemingly starting to be more and more intelligent but biology has us beat i and and i'm happy to discuss this with anybody 37 trillion cells i have all working together that encapsulate energy in some ways that makes me conscious that i can live life that is not a simple feat (laughs) i'm gonna go down now rabbit hole this is gonna be a long backtrack to get out of this hole but i love the theory i love a lot of theories (laughs) intelligent design you've heard about intelligent design the whole concept around intelligent design is essentially that it's very hard to go past the fact that we are designed for a specific purpose 
And this goes back to Aristotle and Plato, the essence or the form or the anything else along the way of philosophers thinking about like, what is, what is it about life that's different and what makes us human? And, you know, there is something about us. Like it's, it feels like we're special. Maybe we're not right. The universe again is like, eh, yeah, you're just humans. But it feels like we're special and backtracking a little bit, intelligent design is a theory that like when you see something that looks like it's designed for a particular purpose, is that by accident? Now, the evolutionists and Charles Darwin would say, yes, it's not only is it an accident, it's random, right? Somehow the DNA evolving at random levels of mutation, there's only a couple of ways that DNA can mutate, but it mutates all the time. Survival of the fittest, the adaptation, and just the the way that life is structured. We've got to where we are as humans, but like we have evolved consciousness. Why did we evolve consciousness? We don't know. Why do we experience life? We don't know. And like going back to backtracking to intelligent design, the classical example is if you came across a watch, and you saw all the parts that make up a watch and you understood the concept that it was meant to tell time, you would say someone designed it. You wouldn't say that randomly the universe somehow put together <laughs> a watch and it can now tell time because it's, it's quite complicated how it does that, right? Especially, I guess, analog versus a digital watch. I'm, I'm talking about a, a nice analog watch. People pay like $250,000 million for watches. Means I don't even know what brand. I'm guessing a Rolex. You came across a Rolex, right? It's all flashy and inside, but you open it up and inside you would naturally think that somebody designed it and to be a watch. Did someone design us to be human, have this experience of life? I mean, it's a strong argument. Sure. And the word intelligent is interesting here. We often assume we are superior intelligence. And from what we can tell, we are because there's no other race that's come along or no other animals that like has dominated the planet. But again, there could be more superior intelligent beings that just, to this, it could be child's play, right? They could treat us as like, eh, it's just humans going back to it. But either way, you would assume there is an intelligent design which points to a creator. Now, whether that creator, I mean, going from an anthropic principle in human history, like we've always thought that maybe a creator created the image out of themselves. I don't want to say himself. It could be a her. It could be a, a they. I don't know, right? This is going into the realm of, of even theology and God and things like that. But an intelligent design would say there's something, some entity has then given us the creation and maybe even a purpose to be human, to live, to, to survive, to experience so that's intelligent design, which is also super interesting. And it's just something to think about. Can it be proven either way? No. Will we find out eventually? Maybe. Like they might come down and say, aha, guess what? I'm that person. Or maybe not that person. I'm that, let's say encapsulation of energy. I'm the ball of energy. And I thought it'd be really fun to create a human. They can do all this cool stuff. Backtrack, 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 backtrack. Information, panpsychism. Wow, that was a big one. Uh, information may not mean anything to us. Maybe to that creator it means something. Maybe to the world it means something. Panpsychism, consciousness is everywhere. I do believe in some ways we do have to extend our physical laws and theories, but not necessarily in the way that consciousness is embedded everywhere. I have talked about the physics of emergence. We need to bridge the gap between the micro world and the macro world. We don't understand it very well. If we did understand it, we need to create laws that do that transformation. And I think that will help us get towards solving consciousness. But again, topic for another day, backtrack, backtrack, panpsychism, consciousness is everywhere. Backtrack, what were we talking about? (laughs) Collective consciousness. Now, 
even if you say panpsychism, yep, it's good. Consciousness is everywhere physically. Quantum field theory can, you know, one day is going to have a consciousness particle or figure it out. It doesn't necessarily mean we have a collective consciousness. That is slightly different. A collective consciousness, even in a physical world, would mean we are all connected. But to be conscious, to have consciousness in the blanket term that I'm using, means you have an inner experience. To collectively have consciousness means we are connected with that experience somehow and maybe we can either share the experience or we are unified in where we are going i think that's the super interesting thing here to say that we are connected would also imply that maybe we are moving as one now from a society point of view sure and this is another way to look at collective consciousness do we have thought patterns that we have agreed upon yes does that necessarily mean we are connected maybe not now society has emergent properties of those thought patterns when we create a society with laws and everything they are emergent properties that we have agreed upon right the interesting social contract is something philosophers talk about in terms of philosophy of society you enter a contract whether you like it or not almost to be honest <laughs> compared this is an interesting thought experiments around this but when you're born depending on the society you're born in you enter that contract in today's world go back 200 300 400 a thousand years society looked very different and like what we have emerged as society is a lot around our liberty liberties our freedoms our what makes us human our rights and that's what you're getting for that social contract you're getting a level of security of like you have the right to x y and z like freedom of speech and you know, you got the right to property if you live in the US and things like that. And many places in the world, you got a right to, I don't know, uh, find meaning of happiness, of to have autonomy, right? And all of that stuff. But it comes at that contract that you sign. And if you break that contract, there are laws that are enforced. And so collectively in society, you could argue we have collective thought patterns. And society, if you if we go back, it's, it's fun to think about. I mentioned going back. We could even go back and see the evolution. And one day I'm going to map out the evolution of what I call a human thought pattern just to see how people thought back then and what they thought about not only the world but society as a whole. And we could even go back to the Babylonians and the Egyptians, technically the first societies, you could say, in some world or civilizations. We can't go much further back because before writing was invented, uh, it's very hard to know what happened. And going back even to the beginning of agriculture, which is like 8,000 or 10,000 BC, where we went from hunter-gatherers to, interestingly enough, a cooperation sense where we enhanced our you know survival and security by grouping together um and becoming more you could say farmers right and and saying this property we're going to agriculture can sustain us better than going out and finding our food then going all the way to the invent of fire which is like two or three million years ago where we first started becoming more social we started connecting that's really when the connection revolution started and there's many reasons why we developed fire i think predominantly is to cook our food to make it easier to digest all right and that's when did you could say is that the first time we started collectively having that thought patterns probably yes maybe not i mean even hunting gatherers you could see there's properties that emerge around being together in a group and you have a leader and you have followers and you have, you know, hunting as a group and things like that. So maybe that's when collect. So you could almost say at some point ever since we became humanoids, like about 7 million years ago, when we, when we sort of branched in our own 
biological part of the tree that we started understanding or trying to connect and you look at it all the way through back to now we definitely are connected from a society level now super fascinating is um let's talk about this a little bit more around what about collective consciousness through let's talk about Carl Jung if you haven't heard of Carl Jung he was a very very famous very good philosopher his time period eludes me I believe it's the early 1900s um funny enough he was a student of sigmund freud and at that time psychology especially it must have been early 1900s because post william james who's the father of psychology wrote principles of psychology 18 i don't know 95 or something like that that's when psychology started branching from philosophy and psychology started talking about things that were a little bit more relative relativism and you've all heard of sigmund freud his theory was a childhood development theory very psychosexual I believe that's the right term. I might have just thrown the wrong term in there. But he came up with a psychoanalytic method of talking through your childhood to find underlying drivers that are either in your subconscious or unconscious. And we've all heard the id, ego, superego. This is the battle internal we have. I like to call it the feeling, thought, and instinct. Like there are instinctual drivers that basically manifest themselves to our actions, habits, and behaviors. I don't know if anybody would strongly disagree with that. Maybe, maybe they will, maybe they won't. I do believe our childhood plays the most important role in the rest of our lives. We're almost scared little children, I'd like to call us, for the rest of our lives. Now, the psychosexual part, yeah, definitely people uh, had came up with different childhood development theories. The psychoanalytic method, I do believe, is very important. And if I've done my own psychoanalysis, is it fun? No. Was it worth it? Absolutely. Is there a lot of pain uncovered? Sure. Did I cry? Yes. I bawled my eyes out for years almost, right? But processing what that pain was helped me obviously move to a different place. And like that evolution of my thought patterns definitely helped uncover the emotional things that were driving me. And it was absolutely manifesting in my behaviors. That's why I subscribe to psychoanalytic methods. You can do it yourself. I don't recommend it. There are professionals that help you do it. Anyway, Sigmund Freud came along after Carl Jung and he took it to a direction that actually Sigmund Freud didn't like. They had a disagreement and had a falling out because of this. Carl Jung took it to that we have a connection, whether that's subconscious or unconscious, we are connected in some ways. Now, funny enough, post Carl Jung, there are a lot of people that jumped on the bandwagon of collective consciousness. And all of the a lot of the movements coming out of the, you probably know what I'm talking about in the 1960s. I don't want to use that word, whatever that word is to describe them. But like the people that like went out there, they gathered in parks and they wanted to be collectively conscious and they connected to each other and they took chemicals for their brains, right? Changed their brain chemistry and tried to connect that, make that deeper connection. They took it down that collective consciousness path, mind you, and said that, yes, and this is a slight misinterpretation for me of Carl Jung. And let me try and explain what I think Carl Jung was moving towards is that as humans, we are connected. The fact that we are humans and back then there was a lot of discoveries around, hey, DNA. And he's like, "There's there's something inside us that is evolving that connects us. He's not wrong in the sense that we are 99.95 in terms of actual DNA structure itself. Obviously, there's variations of a lot of genes, but the structure itself is very same. Funny enough, it's 50% to a banana. <laughs> so like you're 50%, I'm 50% banana, great. But there's something about the gene expression over time 
that does connect us. He was saying something that's human makes us human, right? And it's it's great to think of it from that perspective. Are we connected because we're all experiencing life in the same way? Our brains, at least from a conceptual level, are very similar the way that they work? Yes. I mean, is that something to have multiple sides? Maybe, maybe you could make the argument, devil's advocate, that maybe we're not as connected. From a psychological level, it feels we're very different, although I challenge that as well. I think it's just a feeling. Our thought patterns are probably bucketized similarly. The way that we feel things is a handful of ways we feel things. Now, do we feel it stronger, some people, than others? Absolutely. Um, but, you know, you could argue that there's, buckets of what humans fall into so backtrack backtrack carl Jung did was the first to kind of do that now the reason why sigma freud didn't like it is that he didn't he definitely didn't believe in the collective consciousness or the subconscious or unconscious but carl Jung, again great philosopher i recommend you you learn all about him he did say look humans are just connected and we are connected in some way now this touches on the rationalism versus empiricism it's kind of hinting towards that there's some sort of innate connection between us and just through our dna and our expression and when we're born something is passed along now it's clear that there's a lot of hereditary things that are passed along in your lineage and genealogy but he also believed that humans as a whole had that connection and it's great to think about that I don't think he was talking like something that like as you go on in your life, we have this, you know, if quantum field theory is all consciousness and we are connected to the consciousness, then we're all connected. And what would that even look like? Oh, and this is an interesting thing to think about. Like from a physical perspective, does that mean when I walk up to someone like my brain frequency is the same? What I want to highlight here, what's interesting is we definitely feel something about people. Like you've had that gut feeling. Everybody's had it. When you walk in a room and you meet someone for the first time, you kind of do get a sense about them. And I feel like that's, whether it's, it could be pheromones. <laughs> we know pheromones, although work at a short distance, you're releasing something that other people take in. Now you are releasing energy through your words uh, and your actions and your body language. And yes, the other person is processing that energy. So there is some exchange of energy that's maybe, is it underlying and is like your consciousness potentially connecting if, if you think of like an actual connection, maybe. I have tried to send conscious thoughts to other people. <laughs> this is, a, there's a moment in every episode where you're like, this guy is completely crazy. Welcome to the moment. <laughs> I just wanted to see what it would look like. The problem is I can't, it's hard to ask this, the next other person, hey, did you feel anything? I've asked them if I was like, like, I tried to send you some stuff. Like, they're obviously like a joke around. Say, yeah, I felt it. This will transcend space. I'm not talking about when you, but even let's talk about when you like really love someone and you see them, like something physiology changes. If you believe that there's connections of love at different state, not stages, for different people, it's different. Yeah, like some people, I definitely feel more, the word could be connected to some people than others. I think that's supernatural and some people are more connected to other type of people. You do feel something though that gives you that establishment. Now, I believe that is more, some people just feel natural. I'm going to use this natural term a lot from now on. And one of my good friends was the one I was talking to him about. And like, some things feel more natural to you when you engage in that. But that's also the same as an activity, whether you're into art, science, or for me, philosophy, it feels natural. And so some people, when you interact with them, it feels more natural than others. I think that's definitely a human trait. What that naturality is, I think they're similar to you. I think the energy that you're exchanging resonates with you. Uh, are you on the same frequency? There's a lot of experiments around frequency, right? 
Frequency, our brain works in the hertz level, which is interesting and fascinating. At steady state, it's 20 hertz. That's not a lot, given like physical world works in billions of hertz, right? At the highest of your brainwave peak, it's about 100 to 120. When you're cognitive of a task and you need to accomplish something, it's about that. Funny enough, when you're dreaming and you're in REM state, which is one of the deeper states of sleep and you're dreaming, it's at 120 hertz. So, you know, we can talk about dreams another day. Backtrack, backtrack, backtrack. There's something that happens when you do interact with people. I do believe that. Now, are you consciously connected? I'm going to say no. Do I believe what Carl Jung was saying? In some ways, yes. I feel like as humans, I think what he was also saying is you know how to be human. Does anybody have to tell you how to be human? No, you're born with the ability to be human and you play out in terms of your gene expression to be human. That's what you get to. Because we're all so similar in the way we play out, at least physically. Yes, there's physical differences. I get it. But like at a high level of you know arms, legs, and spine, central nervous system, and all of that, we're roughly similar, right? And so backtrack, backtrack, collective consciousness is interesting to think about there are other ways to look at it. We talked about from a physical level and quantum field theory being connected somehow. We talked about, and yet, I mean, the spiritual is one other valid way to talk about. Maybe consciousness is something that is we don't understand and it could be more of an energy, um, whether that's whatever you think about it. And that energy, maybe we are connected and we can't tap into it. I mean, it's, it's about, I have to think of all sides of, of this discussion. The reason why we can't rule that out is because we can't rule in any other uh, theories that would counteract this. Like if we could rule in theories that consciousness is localized and the final theory I'll talk about is that consciousness is localized. That's it. You outside, you radiate heat, right? Infrared comes out of you. This is why infrared cameras work. But you're not necessarily bringing your conscious outside of your brain. What's in your skull is your physical brain and assuming everything's physical, then those emergent properties, including consciousness, is right there. When you're born, it's in your brain, uh, in your head, sorry. When you die, it's in your head. <laughs> when you're no longer conscious, your hourglass of consciousness runs out. That's it. It's still there. And it's no longer. And that theory holds a lot of weight because that's what we see. All right? it's, it's, uh, if you want to believe in life after consciousness is gone, maybe. Does your consciousness... Funny story... <laughs> It was more about the soul, but they ran experiments, I don't know when, a couple of hundred years ago, probably more. They actually wanted to weigh people after they died and they wanted to try and determine if something leaves their body, which would mean that their weight will be slightly less exactly after they died, which means their soul left their body. Obviously inconclusive. A lot can happen even during the measurement itself. But maybe that's what happens. Like maybe does your consciousness dissipate into the earth or does it just float into air nobody knows nobody knows the only thing we can point to right now is we don't see people coming back to life if you believe in the what is that what is it called reincarnation and maybe your consciousness floats and goes somebody else <laughs> or an animal or a non-living object if you believe in panpsychism like if it dissipates into the earth it, it might come back as something else all of these theories, unless one of them is proven, is maybe even equally valid. It's all what you believe. What do I believe? I do believe it's in our skull. I think it's fun to think about sending conscious thoughts. I think it's fun to think about the connection. I don't subscribe to panpsychism. I just really, really like the theory. 
like I can see myself as a panpsychist, but it's my brain just unfortunately it's not comprehending it at the moment. Don't get me wrong, I'm evolving really rapidly. I'm not the same person I was two months ago, three months ago, six. The whole goal of my life is to evolve as fast as possible. I want my brain to change as fast as possible. I want to be as neuroplastic as possible. I want the optimal brain in terms of how the functions actually happen. I want to be able to learn as fast as possible. I want every signal in my brain to be premium. And I don't even know what that means, but hey, it's it's what I'm doing right now. And so that evolution, I might change. And that's the whole point. I believe our brains develop to allow us to change our chemistry and our minds develop to be able to think about changing our chemistry. And going back, yeah, I, I, a panpsychism, I, I like it, might not be able to do it, right? I, I applaud all the panpsychists out there, though. I like where they're going with it. I, I want you to be right. <laughs> I'm rooting for you. Do I think we need to extend the physical understanding in terms of, yes, I think we do need to do it at a translation level from figuring out emergence, the physics of emergence, whether it's steady state physics, like I like to call it, I'm not sure yet. I don't know how time exactly plays into this equation. My gut tells me that time is a very important factor, not necessarily time, but change. Like if it's a few things that you're going to be sure of is that everything will change. Nothing stays the same. Not you at an atomic level or a subatomic particle level. In fact, every seven years, my complete body has reinvigorated itself. Every cell has broken down and rebuilt in every seven years, which doesn't leave a lot of room for what consciousness is. It means if you're a physicalist, which I am, I believe everything is physical, then consciousness is even an emergent property either reemerges. Or it's physical and it's also broken down and rebuilt. You never feel that happening though. You are a one unified stream. We've talked about or people have talked about stream of consciousness. It almost feels like a stream. It's almost like a pipe. A pipe that's representative of time. You just have conscious experiences until you no longer have conscious experiences. And it doesn't get interrupted. It doesn't get stopped. Even if it's passive or even under anesthesia or even if you're taking some sort of chemicals or drugs that changes the interplay in your brain. Doesn't mean your consciousness ever goes away. Ever. And so to me, there's something there that it could be a steady state. And this is my radical theory. Every philosopher has radical theories, by the way. A good philosopher thinks outside the box and challenges some of pre-assumptions. And so could it be a steady state thing? Uh, It's going to be hard to wrap your consciousness around. And again, it comes back to like we are so integrated with our experience. We cannot detach ourselves from our experience. I've tried and I want to. I want to step outside There's two ways I want to go. One, I want to feel my experience more. Love to feel my neurons firing. One would be step outside of my experience, not be me. But what would that even look like? (laughs) And consciousness, not conscious experience, and it's going to be hard to distinguish the two. I do believe you have a series of stream of conscious experiences. I mean, that's just, I'm going to have 10 billion conscious experiences until I don't have any more to have. But could consciousness be something that's outside or transcends time to be a steady state? Could the encapsulation of energy be giving rise to my consciousness? That, again, it's hard to conceptualize 
because your brain experiences or at least gives you the experience of time very 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 well this is something that's ingrained in you it's ingrained in me but if i was to step outside of that experience for one second step outside of my conscious experience would consciousness be left would it be a steady state is it something that doesn't i don't want to say change it's hard because change means time i do believe it changes but not in the fact of time i believe it's a steady state thing i hope that even makes any kind of like this is my radical theory though how we would go about proving it is just like well how do we prove anything around consciousness is very 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 hard (laughs) interesting enough i think that that physics of emergence if we could figure out the steady state physics of emergence i think we could start to figure out the translation layer between what's happening at a neuronal level of my brain and what is actually emerging in terms of my consciousness and then we can kind of map out what that looks like in a translation layer what the end result would be <laughs> i have no idea <laughs> like what what would that even look what would that experiment look like what would would it be math that we need probably maybe what would that math look like what what is that end figure if integrated information theory gives us one summation of a number like is it a number is it a a stream is it a i don't know vector i have no idea like this is where it's like i don't know fun to think about have a think about collective consciousness i guess you have to do it with friends like go and be collectively conscious uh, and have fun